Um, but yeah, so today, guys, I get to introduce Mr. Tony Woodall, who's going to be uh, taking the baton from Steve from last week. We're continuing our series uh, about Jesus is better, right? We all agree at that? Jesus is better, okay? Um, and so we're continuing our series through Hebrews, uh, and, and that baton that's being passed is we're talking about faith today. And, uh, and so, Tony Woodall, take it away, buddy. Yeah. So my name is uh, Tony Woodall. I'm one of the teachers and preachers here at The Edge, and I want to say welcome. If this is one of your first times visiting, please feel welcome. Um, you'll notice that uh, everyone here is really loving, and we have lots of kids, and, you know, your kids will just mix right in with our kids, and hopefully you'll find them at the end of the day, and it'll be a good, a good day. But we've been in this book, um, the book of Hebrews. You guys enjoying it? All right. All right. Four of you really like the book of Hebrews. That's good. Um, it's been really, it's been an incredibly challenging book to preach. Um, first of all, it is pretty deep theologically. It, it can be pretty deep theologically. Second of all, it's written to a people, a people group that we maybe have a hard time relating to. Um, let me know if any of you are a first century Palestinian Jewish Christian. Yeah, so two of you, that's good. Um, it's hard to relate to this book sometimes. And so uh, when I was reading through Hebrews 11 and reading through the scripture that was assigned to me, which was a story about Abraham and Sarah, um, it really felt like, wow, this is like a story that's going to be hard to relate um, to us. And then as I got into it and started praying about it, I'm like, no, um, this is a story of a faith journey. Um, we're in Hebrews 11, which is called the faith chapter. It's that famous chapter on faith where God gives us an overview of faith in the first couple verses. Um, Steve Van Denen covered that last week. Um, if you didn't get a chance to hear him live, make sure to catch him online. He gave us kind of an overview, an intro to what faith is. And I'm going to get into some of the specifics around what a faith journey looks like. Is that cool? Okay. I want to tell you a quick story before I read the word that might get us warmed up to this idea of a faith journey. In 1996... I was going to a relatively small school in Michigan called Saginaw Valley State University. None of you have ever heard of it, and that's okay. That's how small it is. That's how small it was. It's, it's Michigan. If you guys are from Michigan, you know. And Saginaw is right here. And Saginaw Valley State University is in the middle of nowhere, really. And I decided that I wanted to transfer to Loyola University, Chicago. Go Ramblers. None of you know Loyola. That's okay. We had a basketball team last year that did okay. Yeah. Please remain seated. Thank you. Um, so anyway, so I decided that I wanted to go to Loyola. It's a long reason why I wanted to go to Loyola. But I was going to move from a country, kind of a, kind of a small town school, to the city. And I got to tell you that I was a little bit nervous. I mean, I'm like 19 years old. I had never lived in a major city ever in my life. Um, I heard all kinds of stories about Chicago and how dangerous it could be. And I was like the country mouse who was coming into the city world, and I was nervous. And so once I got to Chicago, I had to get a job. And I thought to myself, where can I work where everyone has to be nice to me? I probably won't get mugged, and I'll probably have a pretty good experience. And so back in the day, on Michigan Avenue, there was a store called FAO Schwarz. Remember FAO? Yeah, so FAO Schwarz, where they only played one song. It was on a three-minute loop every day. Welcome to our world of toys. Anyway, so I started working there. I thought, you know what? No one's going to stab me at FAO, probably. 
That was my rationale. I was afraid. I was nervous. I'm going to work at a toy store. Nothing says I'm a nice guy who's not going to hurt you like we're going to tell you. So, so I started working at FAO, and it was interesting. One of the things that I did not know about FAO is it was a pretty famous store, and so a lot of celebrities would come in. And I met a lot of really cool celebrities. Um, many of them are my friends today. I'm just kidding. They're not. <laughs> they don't care about Tony Woodall. They, you know, I've written them, and they said they don't remember me anymore. But anyway, so... Um, but I've met all kinds of people. People, and you know, and when you meet famous people, you always think, wow, they're really short, or wow, they're really tall, or wow, they're really funny, or wow, they're exactly like I expected them to be. Um, for example, Chris Farley came in to the store one time. I know, right? God rest his soul. Uh, Chris Farley lived across the street, and he came in one time, and he was everything that you think that Chris Farley would be. Uh, he was grabbing the uh, puppets off the wall, and he was doing a puppet show. He had the whole store and just enraptured in his, in his impromptu uh, love of just like making people laugh. And so he came in. Um, let me see who else came in. Um, WWF wrestlers, like 10 of them came in. I think they stole a bunch of stuff, but no one would dare stop them. Like those folks were scary. Um, who else came in? I met Vanessa Williams. She's like this tall. Um, trying to think of who else, some other people. But nothing prepared me for a certain person that I met one day. And that person was Shaquille O'Neal. Thank you for the response. That was, that was amazing. I love whatever's going on with the oohs and the ahs. Okay, keep that going. And so now, now you have to understand that, you know, people, he's called Diesel. That's like his nickname is the Diesel. Um, he dominated in the NBA. The NBA, everyone is big, and he was the biggest of the big, okay? He was seven foot one, but he was probably seven five or something, it seemed like. Um, and what would happen is when someone really famous would come in, and back in the day, he was playing for the Lakers, and he was playing against Michael Jordan. So every time he came to Chicago, everyone wanted to beat Michael Jordan. So every time they came to Chicago, they would do a big PR thing, and they'd make it a big deal, and they'd make sure that everybody know, knew that the guy who was going to beat Michael Jordan was in town. And so when they came in, they brought other PR people, and Shaquille O'Neal came in with his entourage, and he's walking around the store. And anybody been, been to FAO? Okay, what he would do is he was pointing at displays, million-dollar displays. I want to buy that. I want to buy that. And he was trying to buy the store. It was, he was just showing off because he was going to beat Michael Jordan, which they didn't. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so he was showing off. And then it came time, we would line up. All of us, we would line up. And we would, we would shake hands with the celebrities when they would come in. And, and, and he came in, and I was down at the end. And he was shaking people's hands. And as he got closer, I realized that he is a man. Like, he is big. But it didn't really come home how big he was until he reached over to shake my hand. And he reached over to shake my hand, and I reached out my hand, and he reached out his hand, and like from here down disappeared. <laughs> now at that point, a tree has a hold in my, a living tree has a hold in my arm. He could have killed me on accident, this guy. He was huge, and I remember thinking to myself, this is a really weird experience to be shaking hands with a man that could literally rip my arm off on accident. And as I was preparing this message, for some reason I thought of that story, and here's why I thought of that story. We're talking about faith. Um, Steve talked last time about faith being a big deal. Faith is the, is the mechanism, it's the thing within us, it's the belief within us that saves us. 
It's the thing within us whereby we receive everything from God. Every blessing, every good from God comes by faith. And it's amazing to me that the almighty God of the universe, the big guy in the sky, bigger than Shaquille O'Neal, the big guy in the sky, the guy who created the universe, who spoke the stars into existence, who created light, who created the oceans, billions upon billions of galaxies. We haven't found the end of his magnitude and we can't drill down small enough to find his complexity that this God, the God of all gods, the very creator God, actually wants to shake hands with us. And he reaches down his hand to shake with us and we reach up and we reach up with our faith. And for some reason, some odd reason, he actually cares about what we think of him and he actually cares if we trust him. And so he reached down, he just reached down with his big cosmic hand and he says, hey, I want to meet you and I want you to return back to me. Faith. Faith is the way that we shake hands with God. And so it's a big deal. I feel like I just really gave a lot of energy up front. Now I got to find <laughs> a lot of energy. But I want to read the scripture and I want to talk about what it looks like to be on a faith journey. If faith is such a big deal, if faith is the thing that pleases God, Hebrews eleven six. Steve talked about that last time. If we're saved by, we receive grace by, and we please God by faith, that cosmic handshake between us and him, we should know if we're on a faith journey. Amen? And so we're going to look at Abraham and Sarah. He's the father and she's the mother of all faith. And we're going to look at their lives and see how that parallels with our faith journey. Amen? Whew, I'll read it. We're going to read Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. Steve is thinking you had more to do than that, but I just <laughs> don't have the time. So Hebrews 11, 8 through 16. Let's read. Uh, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of the promise, as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of these same promises. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Heavenly Father, there are many voices vying for our attention today. Ah, Many opinions, many ideas. But Heavenly Father, we are a people who gather in the name of Jesus and we read your word. And we love your word. And Lord, your word has something to say this morning. Your eternal word, which when implanted in our hearts, gives us a path of faith to walk by where we can please you and we can attain unto the promises that you give us, Lord. Your word matters than every other word in the world. 
So we gather as your saints in the name of Jesus and we say, Lord, speak to us. Lord, we want to hear your truth, which is the truth. And Lord, we yield to you and we ask you, Lord, to show us. You show us, Lord, where we are in our faith journey, Lord. How are we walking with you? Where do you want to dial us in? Where do you want to course correct? So Lord, we just give you this time and we trust you with the word in Jesus' name, amen. So that's the story. I'm going to give you five things, five markers, if you will, of what it looks like to be on a faith journey. Number one, our faith journey is dependent on God. Our faith journey is God-dependent. It says in Hebrews 11 it says, By faith Abraham, when, he called, when, when called to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went. Um, I have a map of the place where we believe that Abraham was from. Uh, I think we have that, Sharon, uh, Mesopotamia. There it is. Class, remember Mesopotamia? When you were kids, uh, Mesopotamia, two words, Meso between, Tamia, rivers, the place between two rivers. Um, Abraham, scholars always argue because that's what they do, that's what they get paid to do. But um, scholars pretty much say that Abraham was born probably around 2000 BC, that's when he lived, um, known as the early Bronze Age. We're going to get very nerdy for a minute. But it's going to go somewhere. Matt likes it. Here we go. The early Bronze Age. The cradle of civilization. The earliest civilizations. Sometimes called the Fertile Crescent. Anybody remember? You're going to go right to sleep. We're going to come back. Don't worry. <laughs> now modern day Iraq, Turkey, and parts of Syria. The early Bronze Age. What was so unique about the early Bronze Age? It's amazing. As I began to write this message, the Lord was like, I want you to learn about where Abraham was from. And I want you to learn about that place. And so I've been kind of nerding out this week. Early Bronze Age. Here's the thing about the early Bronze Age. There were tools that were created that allowed people to become self-reliant for the first time in the history of humanity. Okay? There were weapons that were stronger, that could subjugate peoples around them. There was a potter's wheel. Probably the most important thing was a plow, a certain kind of plow that was created at that time, which meant that people could irrigate. They were between two rivers, right? So they had river here, river there, fresh water. They could irrigate this land out. And because they had these strong plows that could bust through any kind of soil, they were able to irrigate these um, fields, vast fields, and they were able to irrigate crops all year round. They were no longer dependent on the seasons. And of course, that meant that people could create sur surpluses of grain. And of course, that meant that people could create money to trade that grain. That meant that economic and political systems could arise. And that meant that people started to get their own independent ideas about life and living. Amen? And what happens is, is that if God, the, the, the living God, if he doesn't speak to a fallen mankind, if the living God does not release some kind of revelation outside of that system, here's what happens. When people begin to become self-reliant, they begin to make gods out of nature and out of humanity. They begin to make idols. Idol worship rises up within the context of self-reliance. Yep. Yep. Now, it's said in a Jewish myth, which of course we don't call as being uh, fully inspired by Holy Spirit, but it's said in Jewish myth, which means something, that Abraham's father was perhaps an idol maker. I'm talking about idol worship in Mesopotamia. Idol worship rises up in the context of self-reliance. When we become independent from God, we no longer look to God, and we make up our own gods. Amen? 
The Tigris over here, the Euphrates over here, they were like two lines. If you will, follow the metaphor, they were like a life lived between the lines. A life lived between the lines. A life represented by self-security, manageable, predictable, carving out of the ground, irrigating our own way, creating our own peace and security. Amen? Am I talking? Does it sound familiar? This is what civilizations do. What does life look like between the rivers today? What is life between the lines? I think the guy who got it right back in the 80s was a guy named Francis Schaeffer. He said that the idol of the Western world is not pornography, it's not even money, it's not any of those things, it's personal peace and affluency. The things that a self-reliant person has, the things that our Western world has created outside of God's revelation, the thing that we have is we have personal peace and affluency. It's like these lines that keep us within the lines, you know, like color between the lines, you know what I'm saying? Make sure you keep your life between the lines. Personal peace over here, affluency over here. What I'm saying is, is that just like Abraham, just like us today, we have a life between the lines and then we have a life of faith. We have a faith journey. God is calling all of us to trust him above our own peace, trust him above our own ability. Amen? And that's number one. Abraham did that. He lived between the Tigris and the Euphrates, the cradle of civilization, and God's like, you know what? That's not it, Abraham. I want you to follow me. And I feel like for every believer on the planet, and it looks different for everyone, because you can have wealth and you can have prosperity and still be living in faith. Amen? I mean, Abraham took off and he got wealthy. I'm just saying. I'm not giving you a health and wealth gospel. I'm just saying that it is possible to have goods and to have resources and still walk in faith. What I am saying, though, that is if you are living a self-reliant life, if you are living a life where you're hemmed in by personal peace and affluency, God wants to speak to us and God wants to call us out and trust him. Amen? The faith journey is life or God-dependent. That's number one. And it looks different for all of us and at different times God reminds us of that. Maybe today God's reminding you. Number two, our faith journey puts God before the plan. (laughs) Our faith journey puts our relationship with God before the plan. Um, I remember back in 2010, it was impressed upon me by people that I love. Um, They're in the room now, actually, Dana Mori, Corey McNamara. It was impressed upon me that I should go and do a missions trip in Africa. Now, you have to understand, I'd never done a missions trip before. Not to Canada, not to Indiana, nothing. Okay, I'd never done a missions trip before. And so Africa's like the big one, you know what I'm saying? Like, you look at missions trips, I'm not judging anyone's missions trips, okay? But like, the big one's Africa, you know what I'm saying? Come on. <laughs> I mean, like, you can go other places, but Africa's like, man, that's like, that's like, the, that's like a master's degree in missions trips right there. Anyway, I digress. I hear my baby, I think. Yes, she is over there. She's laughing at me. Thank you, honey. So, I wanted to go to Africa because we were doing large-scale evangelistic outreaches, and I really wanted to go see it. I was serving on, um, on this ministry, and I had to go see. And so, as we were getting ready to go, um, what would happen is Corey would go ahead of us, and he would set up the place, and he'd make sure that we had places to stay, and he made sure that we had churches to talk to, and he was working on the promotions of this large-scale outreach event through A Light to the Nations. And so, um, I called him, and I said, hey, man, I really want to go out there. He's like, great, come on. And then I began to ask questions. Well, where are we going to stay? He's like, well, we're going to stay in Kayonza outside of Kigali. I'm like, what's a Kayonza? 
I'm like, how's the hotel? He's like, oh, it's okay. I'm like, what are we going to do? He's like, well, you're going to go meet people and preach. I'm like, what am I going to preach about? He goes, I don't know. We'll see when we're going to get here. And as I asked more and more questions, I began to realize that no matter how many answers he had, eventually I was going to have to trust Corey. I was going to have to trust that the years of relationship that I built up getting to know this man was not going to kill me if I got on a plane to go to Africa. My first missions trip. And so, of course, we landed and, you know, we almost died only twice. So it wasn't, a bad, it wasn't that bad. No, I'm just kidding. We actually have pictures from that uh, missions trip. Uh, show the picture of Corey. There's Corey. <laughs> Do you remember this picture? And then, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, and then show me, show me. Now go back to Corey. And go back to me. Yeah, we became besties. And what you don't know about this photo is I cropped out the other 15 people in the car. So it was weird. Go back to Corey. You can see in his eyes that I'm trusting him. (laughs) We can take that picture down now. If you don't trust the person that's calling you, it doesn't matter how much information you have, amen? you got to put the person before the plan. Matthew 4, 18 through 20, I love this. Jesus is gathering his disciples, his 12. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, for I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. What's going to move us is not the fishers of men part first. Because if we get stuck on the fishers of men thing, that's a pretty generic plan. Like what kind of equipment are we going to use? Where are people fit, swimming? Like what, what are you talking about, Jesus? Like honestly, if we start with the plan, we're never going to do anything. And so Jesus and God and all throughout the Bible and us today, he always says, I'm worthy of, I'm worthy of being followed. I'm a person, I'm God, I'm Jesus. And I have something for you, but you have to really trust me first or you're not going to go. And you see in the Bible when Jesus would invite someone and they begin to ask a bunch of questions, they eventually walked away. Here's the bottom line. Jesus is worthy of our trust if for no other reason that he died for our sins. He is worthy of our trust. And whatever he calls us to, we can go. And we're not going to have the plan because the person, the God, comes before the plan. Amen? Okay, that's number two. Number three. This is speaking to people. Uh, I, just feel like, like, I just feel like it was such a refresher for me to be like, oh, that's a faith journey. That's nice. Okay. Uh, number three, our faith journey is full of God's grace. Ah, our faith journey is full of God's grace. God is so good. That's why we do anything for him. I love, I love what it says here in Hebrews 11, 11. It says, By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, listen to how nice of a story this is about Sarah. This is really cute, okay? And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him God faithful who has made the promise. And so from this one man, as good as, as, good as dead, came descendants numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. We know the story that, that Abraham and Sarah became pregnant with Isaac. I think Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 
Yeah, she wasn't a young girl. And when you read, what's so beautiful about uh, Hebrews 11 is we read about all these folks in the Bible. And if you didn't know the Old Testament, you would think, these people are perfect. These people are amazing. These people, they have a straight line. Like, here it is. Sarah didn't have a kid. She wanted a kid. She believed God. She got a kid. End of story, right? Fake news. Shall we go to Genesis 18? Oh, boy. Genesis 18, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. God has a sense of humor, by the way. When you're on a faith journey, man, he can laugh. We can laugh. Okay. Um, uh, Here's the story. Is that that Jesus, a a, a Christophany, Jesus comes in the Old Testament with two angels. Kind of weird. Can't go there, but that's what happened. And he goes to visit Abraham, and he says to Abraham, where is your wife Sarah? And Abraham said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, she's 90-something, right? And Sarah was listening at the tent behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. I love the way that the Bible says, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Mm. So Sarah laughed and said to herself, I am worn out. After I am worn out and my Lord is old, I shall have pleasure. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Well, she didn't exactly say that. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Amen. At the appointed time when I return to you about the same time next year, Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah did not, I'm sorry. So, So the Lord says, why did she laugh? And then he said again, at the appointed time, I will return to you. You understand that, that when, when you're on a faith journey, when you're walking with God, there are going to be times where you just don't believe it anymore. There are going to be times where you're going to laugh in God's face. You know what God's going to do? He's going to restate the promise. He's going he's to say again, at the appointed time next year when I return to you, you will have a son. And the Lord said, why did you laugh at me, Sarah? And I love this. And Sarah denied it and said, I didn't laugh. For she was afraid. And the Lord said, no, but you did. You know, I love Hebrews 11 because it only takes the good stuff and makes that the story, amen? Now let's not just pick on Sarah. Let's talk about Abraham. <laughs> so Abraham. So Sarah laughed. It was an incredulous laugh at the promise of God. Let's look at, let's look at Abraham. So Abraham passes off Sarah as his sister twice. Mmm. Wants to Pharaoh, Pharaoh wants to Abimelech. Weird side story, she's actually his half-sister. But that's okay. We're going to move on. It was before the law. It was before you could... Anyway, so technically he wasn't wrong. All right. But anyway, he, he passed her off. He was, she was his wife and he was trying to get out of trouble because back then when you walked into those societies, a king, if you were a foreigner, you had no rights and a king could take whatever he wanted from you and she was hot. Apparently Sarah was a hottie. Um, so, that, that's, that, so Abraham passed off Sarah as his sister twice so to save his own neck. Of course, God intervened because the faith journey is a journey of faith, or journey of grace. Uh, Abraham took a concubine, Hagar, at Sarah's request and approval, but he still did. Um, Abraham questioned God a lot. I mean, Abraham and Sarah had some issues, Right? But what we find here in Hebrews 11 is we see that God brushes all of that aside. Why? 
Because here's what matters. This is one of the, the hallmarks of the book of Hebrews. Here's what matters. It doesn't matter if you fall down. It doesn't matter if you go sideways in your faith journey. Our faith journey is not going to be a straight line. Our faith journey is going to zig and zag, I think you said at one time, uh, Brandy. Our faith journey is going to swerve this way and that. We're not going to have a straight line, but here's what matters. Is that we keep showing up and we keep going anyway. Because at the end of the day, that's what matters. Amen? It doesn't matter if you failed. It doesn't matter if you make mistakes as long as you show up and keep going. At the end of the day, if we continue to endure in faith, if we continue to walk it out with God, if we continue to say, you know what, I don't understand, even if we start to doubt him at times, as long as we keep going, we're going to endure and that's going to be the story. Amen? Because the faith journey is about God. The faith journey is on God. He's the one that's going to meet us in our doubt. He's the one that's going to meet us in our fear. He's the one that's going to meet us in our need. He's the one that's going to make good on the promises that he makes to us. Amen? And we ain't going to be perfect, but he always is. The faith journey is about God's grace. Praise God. I love that. Number four, your faith journey is your legacy. Your faith journey is your legacy. It says, By faith he, Abraham, made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. I'm going to come to that in point five. It's interesting that he has the promise, but he lives in a tent, right? It says that he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. We see in the Bible that whenever... God is talking about promises uh, regarding Abraham. He will say that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What God is doing in your life right now, what God is doing in your life is so much bigger than you. It's about your kids. It's about your kids' kids. Your kids' kids will inherit your faith journey. That's how God works. He's good. Um, last year, no, two years ago maybe, yeah, two years ago, I decided that I wanted to do Ancestry.com. Anybody ever done that? Ancestry.com, where you find out kind of like what your genetic roots are and where you come from. Anybody ever? Like, is it like DNA123 is another one or something like that? Anyway, so what they do is they send you this little tube and you spit in the tube and then you, you mail it out and then like eight weeks later they tell you like, hey, you're Irish, hey, you're French, whatever, you're from Nigeria, whatever, right? And I got it back and I was really surprised by two things. Number one, I'm pretty Irish, like, I'm more Irish than, than I thought. Like, probably, like, when you add up the Scandinavian stuff, which was just the Vikings, which is really kind of Irish if you go back. Anyway, long story. I'm going to bore you to death, but I'm kind of Irish. But there was something else that surprised me. I got an email. What happens with Ancestry.com is you get these emails whenever someone that's connected to you genetically finds you or you find them. And I got an email from the system that said, this person is either your son or your father. Oh boy. And I'm thinking to myself, I gotta hide this. <laughs> I can't tell you about it. No, 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 it's all good. What happened was, is my father, we, we don't talk enough, obviously. My father actually did the same thing probably a year prior to me doing it, and they linked up my dad and I. Whew. That's the only answer you have, man. The DNA evidence is very compelling. 
This person is your father or your son. So I only had one phone call to make that I could make that could save my hide, and that was dad. Hey, did you do Ancestry.com? Yeah, thank you, God. And so we started talking about it, and I said, Dad, wow. And, he, and, and it turns out that he had been really digging into our history um, on his side of the family, obviously. He'd been digging into history, and he said, well, when you come and visit next time, which is a pretty smart one, when you come and visit next time, I'll show you all the stuff that I've learned. So we went there, I went there for um, Thanksgiving, and he showed me something that blew me away. My great-grandmother, right? So my dad's grandmother on my grandpa's side, my great-grandmother, Beatrice, was an ardent Baptist. And back in that day, they had the big Bible, you know? They had the big Bible, and any time someone was born or someone in the past had, had died, they keep this lineage Bible. You ever seen these big Bibles? They're, like, huge, and they, like, write about the past and the present. And she had this Bible that when she passed away, she gave to her son, my grandfather, Bill, who gave it to my dad. My dad had a Bible from my great-grandmother who was a prayer warrior. She was a Baptist. Um, she did missions work, and she served in a church all her life. She did Sunday school. She had a multi-decade faith experience with one church outside of Louisville, Kentucky. My great Louisville. <laughs> My, great, my great-grandmother was a prayer warrior servant of a Christian church. Let me tell you something. Between her and me, we lost some of that in my family, but God never lost sight of her. She blessed me. I can tell you, there's no, I, I, I'm okay. God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants. Someone was praying for me. And I can tell you that it wasn't people in between me and her, okay? There were, there were issues in my family, long story. But I can tell you that I have, I have a story, I have a lineage of a great-grandmother who was praying for her future generations to know, serve, love the Lord, and serve his church. And I had no idea. I looked her up. Um, she's buried right outside of that church, and a lot of my relatives are buried there too. I have a history And I think sometimes, let me tell you, this is what the Lord's been speaking to me. He's been talking about legacy a lot. Um, to me, he's been speaking about legacy a lot in this church. We have a lot of children. I think when we want to give up, when life comes at us and we want to walk away from Jesus, the question that I'm now going to ask myself until I die is, what kind of story do I want my great-grandkids to say about me? Isn't that compelling? Isn't that just hedge you in? Doesn't that keep you on a path? I want my great-grandchildren to know that me, I was standing here, I was preaching the truth, I loved them, I believed for them, and I gave them a lineage and a history of walking out my faith. Don't you want that for your great-grandkids? Or your great-grand-nephews? Let me tell you something. There comes a point in everyone's life where they want to find out where they're from. And if they find you, what will they find? I want my progeny to find that I love Jesus no matter what. That's what I want for my wife and I. I want my wife and I to have kids who have kids who have kids who have kids who love Jesus. Ah, your faith journey is your legacy. Amen? That's what it's about. Troubles in the marriage, troubles with finances, troubles with all kinds of things, addictions. We have to ask ourselves, what kind of story do we want our life to tell? Amen? And it gives us that strength. It gives us that inner resolve to keep going. That's number four. Number five, your faith journey is ultimately about eternity. 
Your faith journey is ultimately about eternity. So it's about being dependent on God. It's about following him for who he is. It's number three. Hold on. (laughs) It's about grace. Amen. We can always remember that. It's about your legacy, and it's about eternity. I love this, Hebrews eleven thirteen. All these people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People say such things to show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they left, they would have gone back. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. What's amazing to me is that God promised them land and God promised them children, but we read in Hebrews 11 that though they got land and children, they still didn't get the promise. Why? Because it's ultimately about eternity with God. What's the, what's the metaphor that I can give? I thought about it. I was meeting with a good friend, Mark Luroff, earlier this week. Uh, Mark works in Naperville. Isn't that nice? Nice guy, Mark, working in Naperville. Th- there's some lots next to Mark's house, that, or Mar- Mark's work. There's some lots, some Naperville lots that are, that are for sale. I don't know if you know much about Naperville, but some parts of Naperville are really expensive. Amen. These lots will probably go for a half million dollars all in, both of them together. I don't know what the number is, but I want you to imagine that you have a relative who passes away and they have this lot in Naperville worth a half million dollars and you decide that you're going to park an RV on it and live out of it. We have a picture of my RV? Yeah. That's not mine. I found that on the internet. I want you to imagine that you have prime real estate. You have like the nicest lot in Naperville and you roll up with that. And your neighbors start coming up to you and being like, hey man, when are you going to build a house? And you're like, you know what? I'm just going to live out of this. It's nice. (laughs) That's what's being said here in Hebrews 11. What's being said here is that they had the promised land, they had the kids, and they lived in tents anyway. Why? Because they knew that ultimately, though they had the land and though they had the kids, ultimately it's not about those things. It's about eternity. It's about heaven. It's about life in Christ forever. Amen? That's what's being said here in Hebrews 11. They had the little P promises, land, wealth, kids. But the big P promise is to be in the face of Christ forever. Amen? That's the big one. And so what's being said here is that we have to somehow live in this world We have to live in this world and be okay with blessings and be okay with hardships and be okay with building legacy while at the same time not settling too much because we're eventually going to spend time in eternity. And this is the one, this one right here, our faith journey is about eternity. This is the one that I had the hardest time connecting with. And I want to show you why. I think my wife is here with my daughter somewhere. She's gone. Okay, maybe she'll come in. I don't know. Um, I was going to give you a visual demonstration of my daughter, but sometimes she cries during service. Here's what happened, okay? It's like for many years, like almost a decade, God made a promise to me. God made a promise to my wife. And we had a son, and our son Joshua is awesome. Right now he's serving in Quest, I believe. Yeah? 
Okay? So our son is great. He's awesome. There, there she is. Come on out. Is she crying a little bit? Can I see her? So, oh, she looks cute. Let me see. What do you think? See? <laughs> Let me hold her. She's doing okay? Yes. Can I borrow her? Yeah. Okay. So, um, this is Maya. Um, so what had happened was, is we had a, we had a son, um, Joshua, pretty early in our marriage. And then life happened and things happened and we just, you know, lots of reasons, but we didn't have another kid for a long time. And so about a decade ago, um, just to give you some context for the new folks or folks who don't know us, our, our son, our other kid is 17 years old. And we have a six-month-old. Yep. So um, about a decade ago, God began to speak um, to me primarily and then eventually to us as a couple that we were going to have another one. Hi, sweetie. And this is Eliana Pearl. Um, she was born on April 2nd of this year. And I can tell you right now that for me as a dad with a daughter now, um, I'm kind of good. Like I feel really good about like life and I feel good about um, being on earth and I feel good about like not looking toward heaven, not looking toward heaven so much. Because the blessings of God can keep us grounded in this world, right? And so as I was reading this story and reading about how Abraham was immensely blessed, he was blessed with lands and wealth and children, he still looked toward heaven and that really spoke to me and that spoke to our family. And so I can say that, you know, the Hebrews back in the, in the times that this, uh, the Hebrews 11 was written, they were struggling with persecution. Um, I think we're struggling with blessing. Amen. We're struggling to keep looking to heaven even though we have beautiful gifts like her. Yeah. And that's Eliana, so. I'm good. I'm going to invite the band back up. Um, I'm going to close. Um, so I hope that, you know, in this faith journey, we can see that this story is more relatable than we thought, maybe, or more relatable than I thought when we started out um, last week preparing for it. Um, ultimately, if God does want to make a deal with us and our faith is part of that deal, we should know if we're on his journey or not. Amen. So as the band comes up, I just want to review, number one, a faith journey is dependent on God. Busting out of that personal peace and affluency mindset and just trusting him anyway. Our faith is ultimately about busting out of our own independence and moving into trust in him. And our faith depends on knowing God before we know the plans that God has for us. Amen? That's number two. Full of God's grace. If, you've, if you're here right now and you haven't walked a straight line perfectly, which means you're human, um, amen, praise God, keep going. Amen? Because God's going to clean it up and keep you on the path. It's on him. What are our great-grandkids going to say about us? What is fourth gen going to say? And lastly, we're looking to heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just look to you. We're telling a story that is 4,000 years old or more. A story that we need to hear, a story that we need to keep on the path of faith and to endure. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are worthy of following with no other information other than your God. 
I thank you, Lord, that we are invited to get up and keep walking though we fall. And I thank you, Lord, that no matter how much blessings are poured out on us, on this earth, Lord, <laughs> like that one right there, Lord, that we keep looking to you because, Lord, you're the prize. As Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire more than you. Let's rise. Heavenly Father, we give you glory and trust you. We say you're worthy of our worship. And right now in this moment, Lord, we're going to realign our faith based upon your goodness and grace and trust you in this life and the next. In Jesus' name, amen.